How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 274 of X-Lapsed, where, sad to say, it's uh, one of the very last times I'm going to be able to say Italian's Day, because I, I think we only have two issues of this series left after this one. I believe the series ends with issue 18, and today we're talking about Hellions number 16, which had a December 2021 cover date. Stories called Come Hurt With Us, written by Zeb Wells, with art by Steven Segovia. Colors, Rain Barreto. Letters, VCs, Ariana Mar. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edit, Amaro, Basso, White, Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale October the 6th, 2021, which I guess as of the day we're uploading this or releasing it, it's uh, exactly one month ago. So how about that? We're really good at the uh, synergy thing here, aren't we? Now, before we get into the issue itself, I do want to mention something about the cover here. And I mean covers these days, it's... I don't even know what it'd be tantamount to, but uh, it's hard to really get anything from a cover anymore. I'm not really concerned with what's happening on the cover. I'm more uh, paying attention to the signature on the cover. It's uh, Steven Segovia after Liefeld. And uh, this cover, if you're familiar with the, I guess, A cover, the real cover, the non-variant cover, we've got Grey Crow here who's pointing his gun, and there are a bunch of crosshairs with different characters in them. And uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be an homage to New Mutants number 87. You know, the first appearance of Cable where there were characters in, you know, crosshairs. Uh, maybe? I, I tell you what, uh, my first thought when I saw this is that it was an homage to uh, Alpha Flight number 12. And I mean, characters inside crosshairs weren't invented by Liefeld or, you know, John Byrne. It's just something that happens sometimes. And honestly, I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. It really doesn't much matter, but... Uh, I don't know, maybe it's a reference or an homage to that first appearance of Cable. Maybe there's an even more obvious Liefeld image that I'm totally blanking on that this is like an exact copy of. But whatever, whatever. Let's get into the book itself. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice cover. That I'll, I'll say that much. It's a, it's a nice cover. It does. It is a very striking cover. It will maybe jump off the shelf at you. But uh, let's get into the book itself here. We open in Brooklyn, where the Hellions are all laid out in the aftermath of uh, Havoc's little energy tantrum last issue. Now, Psylocke is sitting there, and she's got like a total devastated blank stare on her face. She's just like completely out to lunch, just staring ahead. Uh, she knows that when Alex went boom at the end of last issue, he all, you know he did destroy the Chimera stuff, of course, but he also... Destroy the AI of her daughter. Now, the rest of the Hellions crew, they're just scattered and laid out here. It was a, you know, a tremendous blast that Havoc, you know, let loose with here. We got Empath. He congratulates Havoc for his freakout, saying it was his best one yet. 
Now, the gimmick here seems to be that Empath was behind Alex's emotional and, uh, I guess, energetic outbursts. Now, we learned last issue that this was like a failsafe of sorts. Empath was kind of a Trojan horse added to the team by Emma Frost in order to keep Sinister in check. Now, Alex himself doesn't appear to get the full picture just yet, and he's still blaming himself for what had gone down. Grey Crow, he does have a better idea about what just happened, and he tells Empath that he's going to kill him real good. Uh, just as soon as he's able to, because uh, he's like kind of in pieces. <laughs> he isn't very mobile right now. A nanny, meanwhile, grabs a shard of something or another, runs over to Sinister, and threatens to kill him. She recites a nursery rhyme about cutting off someone's head. However, before she can actually go through with it, the X-Men arrive, and uh, these are, of course, the relatively recently elected X-Men. Cyclops asks if everyone's okay, which prompts a belly laugh from Grey Crow. Double-page spread of roll call and cred our characters are Havoc, Orphan Maker, Nanny, Mr. Sinister, Wild Child, Psylocke, Empath, Grey Crow, Cyclops, Emma Frost, and Clone Sinister. From here, it's back to comics, and we are at the Healing Gardens in Krakoa, and several of the Hellions have been laid out there, and they're being observed. Emma and Scott look on from an adjoining area to uh, exposit a bit. Uh, Emma says that Alex stops Sinister from letting a dangerous genie out of the bottle. Now, she doesn't actually say the word chimera, but here's a question. Does she know about the chimera? Like, does she have some sort of insider knowledge or insight into the future timelines where, like, she would know that Sinister was going to do this thing? You think if that is the case, that this might have any impact on the X-squared timeline from, you know, Powers of X, uh, which was very, very Chimera-heavy? Or will this just turn out to be, like, another speed bump in Sinister's master plan and everything is still destined to be the way it's going to be? I don't know, but uh, anyway, she also asks if Scott could check in with Quanon and asks that Sinister be brought to the Quiet Council Chamber for questioning, however... In order to keep up appearances to Cohen, uh, you know, riffraff in the peanut gallery, it has to appear as though Sinister is heading there willingly. So no restraints and no arrests. We next hop into the garden, where Grey Crow is still literally in pieces, but he's also still threatening to kill Empath just as soon as he's mobile. He warns that they're going to spend a good long time together where no one can hear. Don't know if maybe he's threatening that they'll somehow both wind up in the hole? Hmm... Now off to the side, Orphan Maker approaches Nanny and is basically told to buzz off. Nanny tells him that he's been an adult since a month, and so maybe it's time for him to just grow up already. Plus, she already has a new little one to attend to in that right-bot baby AI thing. Info page, and it's a letter from Beast to Emma Frost, and it's pretty funny, actually. Now, he expresses a bit of regret over how Project Hellions wasn't uh, exactly a screaming success. And he, uh, interestingly, questions Emma's morally ambiguous behavior. He kind of jokes with her that she's, you know, kind of horning in on his role as the sort of kind of evil behind the scenes for the greater good manipulator. Pretty funny stuff. I, I like this uh, letter a lot. It's, I think uh, even people who are not keen on Beast right now will appreciate this letter. He wraps up by saying that he hopes Emma does right by the Hellenes in the end. We jump back to comics, and uh, we got Wild Child here. He's still, like, kind of glued to Quinan's side here. By this point, however, she's kind of had enough of him being around. So she screams at him to go away, and then he he kind of, you know, slump-shouldered, goes away, and she says, good boy. Uh, she tells him that, uh, you know, this 
this is over And I think the this she's referring to Is probably, you know, the whole Hellions project The whole Hellions endeavor Now back at her house, she runs into Cyclops She informs him that she's done here She's going to be leaving Krakoa right away And I gotta say, imagine if this hadn't already been spoiled You know, that she's going to be part of the next Marauders team, right? It's, eh, who knows Now she makes it sound as though she's planning to make a move against the Council she seems to believe that Emma's machinations were representative of the Quiet Council, like, at large or as a whole. And Cyclops is all like, man, I wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> you know, I, he didn't want to know that. Uh, Quinan clarifies, though, that she doesn't blame anyone but herself for the situation. So she's not gonna, you know, she's not gonna mess with the Council. And, uh, you know, she plans to leave, she's gonna go, and her plan is that she's gonna leave. She's gonna fight bad guys until one of them finally kills her. From here, we jump over to Emma Frost's place, where she's having herself a meeting with Havoc. Now, he still doesn't appear to understand that Empath was the cause of his freakouts, and um, he's still really down on himself for what he'd ultimately, and unwittingly, did to uh, Psylocke's daughter, the AI. Uh, Emma realizes that this conversation isn't really going anywhere, and so she decides to dangle the Maddie Pryor carrot. She says that she's already petitioned the Quiet Council to reconsider their stance on Maddie's resurrection, which turns Alex's frown upside down with the quickness, and he leaves telling Emma that she is the best. Once he's gone, Empath steps out. He jokes that Emma's plan has cost him the only friends he's ever had. She goes on to apologize, but he stops her, making it clear that, you know, he's just joking around. He doesn't need nobody, right? Emma apologizes all the same and tells him that he can hang out at her place until this all blows over. And he smirks until Emma leaves when his eyes begin to well up a little bit. And I tell you, I'm not doing it any justice. This is a friggin' powerful, powerful scene. If you haven't seen this page, track it down. I, I honestly can't believe how well, how well it was done. It's just... It's amazing. It's such beautiful, beautiful character work on, on a character that I really didn't care about before, an empath. Beautiful stuff here. Powerful scene. Might be worth uh, the four bucks in buying this book, uh, and I'm, I'm not even being hyperbolic there. We shift over to the remobilized Grey Crow, who is preparing to kill-kill empath uh, once and for all. And by kill-kill, we mean, you know, kill him and also destroy the backups. Even if it means destroying all of the backups. Hmm. Wildchild warns that this could get him tossed in the hole, and Grey Crow does not appear to give one solitary F about that. We jump over to Nanny's ship, where she checks in with the Rightbot baby. A man's face appears on the monitor. It's Dr. Merch, and we'd met him a few issues back. He, um, he's the guy who sent out the... I don't remember exactly what the team name was. It's like that team of lunatics from uh, the right. Uh, Sigma or Alpha. Or, I can't remember, but you know who I mean if you're following along with this series. Now, he, Merch, he refers to Nanny as Eleanor, which I'm guessing is her real first name, and I don't know that that's been established before this, so that might be new information. Merch also informs her that their divorce was never finalized. Huh, so I guess that would make Nanny's full name Eleanor Merch. I just don't see her being the type to keep her maiden name, though I might be mistaken. We do get a bit of retcon refreshing on Nanny's origin here. Uh, it used to be that she'd worked for the right before she knew that they were evil anti-mutant people here. Uh, but here, it's being implied that she always knew that they were anti-mutant. 
We learn a little bit about the egg suit here. It was said that she was plopped into this suit as a sort of punishment. Uh, she was condemned to it. Well, actually, she chose to be condemned to it. The other option was to stay together with Merch. Now, the doc is surprised and somewhat amused to see that she's still wearing it even today. He then proceeds to whip at her with uh, what looks like Dr. Octopus's arms. Um, he calls her a bad mother, and then he yanks the AI baby out of the ship. He then threatens to take all the babies, referring to Stacy X's Bowery, which uh, we saw back in Way of X number three. Now, Nanny chooses to self-destruct her ship instead. Orphan Maker sees this go down and rushes to her aid, and she tells him just to get away. Get off me. Go. Go beat it. She then lays into him for being a worthless, stupid boy who cost her everything she ever wanted. We wrap up with a mostly blank quote page with Nanny alluding to something very bad indeed going down because she, quote, broke the boy. Uh-oh. That'll do it for this issue. Uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about New Mutants. But for now, how about we talk about this issue here? And uh, that's kind of like a broken record time here. Um, it's not like I can't start our analysis segment any other way than by saying, damn, I'm going to miss this book. <laughs> um, this is just so well done. Um, we're coming to the conclusion here. It doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't feel decompressed. It's just perfect. Um, it's probably the most perfect book of the entire Krakoa-Hickman era. Which, I tell you what, I'm sure I've said this before, but I wouldn't have bet a single nickel on that when this series was announced. I saw it as nothing more than a an attempt at like a funny, ha-ha, wacky team book, and uh, boy, it's, it's anything but that. I mean, there are elements of that, of course, but uh, that's, not, that's not really the point. Uh, the, uh, the point is one of the... You know, our nebulous X-Factors it, it is a book that's just brimming with heart, you know And it's, it's one of those things that's hard to explain unless you just kind of know what you're looking for And frankly, I, I'm kind of just babbling at this point So we'll just, uh, you know, move along here uh, You know, another thing I say just about every time I cover this book If you're not reading Hellions, do yourself a favor and check it out It is just wonderful and... Uh, you know, I know that Zeb's uh, rather the busy fellow nowadays, but I am hoping, absolutely hoping, that we get another Wells Segovia X book after the refiguring of the line this winter. I'm not sure I see it happening because you know Zeb is uh, he's in demand and he's also I I don't know exactly what his role is with the Spider-Man Beyond stuff. I don't know if he's like the Head of webs, you know the uh, the Hickman of that take an editorial fiefdom, but uh, he seems very busy. So I don't know if we'll get another X book, but fingers crossed that we do. Let's get into the issue. I'll try to stop babbling here. Um, empath scene. I mentioned it. It was amazing. I never thought I'd be quite so affected, uh, you know, by a panel of friggin' empath. Uh, looking at him here. And this is just total kudos to Segovia here. Wonderful, wonderful work. You can actually feel his pain. Uh, you can tell that this dude has nobody. And, you know, you could project a little bit, you know, if you are uh, if you can relate maybe to him. And I, I guess maybe I kind of can in some ways, uh, for better or for worse. Um, it looks as though he might behave the way he does because he knows nobody likes him. So he, like, he gets in front of it. Right? He gets out in front of it here. He acts out. He's just, he's a total dick just to give people a reason to hate him. 
rather than having to accept the fact that he's just not a likable guy. Plus, I mean, he does have the power set that really doesn't do much to endear him to those around him, does it? It's uh, problematic, right? Here, we see him having something of a sense of belonging with the Hellions, right? Uh, Now, we've seen him... I don't want to say we've seen him mature, because we haven't. But we did see him have a bit of value. Now, this might be one of the very few times in his life where he felt that way. You know, he had a purpose bigger than himself. And now, with everything that's gone down, he knows that this Hellion's era is pretty much over. And he no longer belongs to anything. And he's back to being alone. Really very, very powerful stuff here. I I can't state it enough. Let's move over to Emma. Now, the revelation that Empath and Emma were behind Alex's freakouts, that was well done as well. Uh, I know many of us have been theorizing what Alex's involvement with this team actually meant from the start. And uh, I'm pretty sure that I suggested that he was perhaps a mole from the very start, because it just didn't make sense that he was there, right? He wasn't getting the benefit of the doubt by from people who he he's known for most of his life, or most of his adult life anyway. Uh, we've got a quiet council with uh, Storm, Gene, Nightcrawler, Charles, right? And none of them are willing to give this guy that they've known forever a single bit of slack or any of the benefit of the doubt. And instead, they just kind of saddle him with these, you know, oddballs and the Hellions. And I thought that was strange. And so I thought maybe, maybe he's a mole. Maybe he's in on it. And, well, I wasn't completely right, was I? Uh, But also, I wasn't completely wrong either. He was a mole of sorts. He just didn't realize it. Now, using Alex for this role is incredibly clever. Uh, You know, with all the after-effects of the Axis storyline back in 2012, 2013, whenever that was, it actually made a lot of sense that there'd be some sort of residual hoodoo, you know, that Alex would be dealing with and coping with. The fact that even now he doesn't seem to fully get it really speaks to how convinced he was that he'd simply become a dude who was rapidly losing his mind and control over himself. Now, having Emma bring up Maddie Pryor again was a, was a great reaction to this discussion because it straddles the line between kindness and manipulation. You know, we can ask questions here. Is she truly being nice to Alex? Does she truly pity him? Or is she just trying to keep him in line? And, uh, I mean, it's another very powerful scene. I mean, I'm saying this a lot, but damn, this was so well done. I mean, it's so methodical. Just, mm, mm, good stuff. Now, let's stick with Emma for a little bit. I had floated the question during the synopsis about what she knows about the Chimera. Because if we stop and think about it, she really shouldn't know anything about it, should she? I mean, we know she definitely knows more than she's supposed to. But officially, she shouldn't be aware of the future, right? Now, if she does know, then this is another great, you know, breadcrumb in the line of breadcrumbs that might be leading to a big Inferno or post-Inferno reveal that maybe Emma knows everything. Now, she's already done the whole McTaggart Hospital thing in Madripoor just to get a rise out of Xavier and Magneto. And now, she appears to know about the Chimera future. Maybe I'm just thinking too hard, but I I don't know. Another thing I might be thinking too hard about is, um, what effect, if any, does this have on the X-squared timeline and beyond? 
Could this be leading to uh, Wolverine having a bebop through the time stream during, what are we calling it, XLWXDW? Who knows? I mean, it's kind of interesting food for thought, though, at least in my opinion. Boy, there's a, there's a lot to talk about here today, isn't there? Let me try to uh, bullet point <laughs> a little bit here. Uh, Psylocke's scene, also very, very strong. Unfortunately, it was undercut with the knowledge that she will be in the New Orlando book. Um, Grey Crow, all but damning himself to the hole, could be interesting. I mean, we don't know where he's going to wind up at the end of this series, but we do know there's a, you know, a fellow former marauder currently down in the hole, patiently waiting for his own limited series to kick off. I wonder if maybe uh, our man Grey Crow might be a part of that. Yeah, stranger things have happened. Uh, Nanny and Orphan Maker scene was also a goodie, and it's making me wonder if this series might just wrap up with both of them out of their respective armors. I mean, I, it's kind of telling that uh, Merch mentioned that uh, Nanny chose to be in the egg, and he's surprised that she's still in the egg, and I wonder if maybe she's not long for the egg after this uh, all wraps up. And also there is the uh, the big clue that Peter's going to do something bad, right? And we know if Peter takes his armor off, something really bad is going to happen. We just don't know exactly what that is just yet. Now, it probably goes without saying that Hellions gets, uh, you know, my highest recommendation. Again, if you're not reading it, do yourself or just do me the favor and give it a look. Read it. Uh, I would uh, offer a money-back guarantee if I had the power to. But, uh, frankly, I don't know logistics for that kind of a thing. And I, I don't think you'd need the money back anyway because... This is a good book. This is a good book, and I think you'll like it. But I think that's all I have to say about it for today. We still have two to go. That's unfortunate. You know, it's one of those bittersweet things. I can't wait to uh, get through the series, but at the same time, I never want it to end. So uh, I guess you can't ask for much more than that when you're reading a current year comic, where you just know the end is always on the horizon. <laughs> but uh, it's just about the speed in which we get there, you know? Uh we think maybe Excalibur's ending, and I can't wait for that to end for a totally different reason <laughs> than, uh, than not being able to wait for Hellion's end. I really am invested in this team and in this book and in these characters. It's it's wonderful. But uh, I will put a pin in that for now, and we can hop into the mailbag here. We got a letter from Evan talking about Cable number 12. Evan says, I'm with you. When they announced the Cable series, my main reaction was, Huh? Not really surprised, but not excited either. Like you, that changed when I actually read the book. Issue 12 was a fine finale, and while it's obvious that Duggan had much more notice than the folks at X-Factor, it still feels like there was some story left to tell. Obviously, the stuff with the space knight who legally can't be called Rom, uh, was that who he was supposed to be, or am I mixing it up? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I assume all space knights are Rom, <laughs> so I, I'm not the best one to ask. Uh, Evan continues... Also with the reveal of why Esme and the others were dating Cable. I'm glad there wasn't a whole issue of melodrama over Cable feeling betrayed. What they did actually made sense, but it also seemed worth more than a panel or two. Beyond that, I feel like there was just more story to tell and ground to cover with young Cable than with the old man. Oh well, this is comics. I'm sure he'll be back sooner or later. And I think I pretty much agree with everything you said there. It was a fine finale. It did feel like there was still story to tell. It did feel like some things were kind of haphazardly dropped in there. The whole, uh, like you said, with the cuckoos, uh, the revelation as to why they were dating Cable. Also, um, the Space Knight who may or may not be Rom. 
it feels like they just dropped him in there It was like a I'm trying to think of a comparison here But I can't I had one <laughs> on the tip of my tongue I just lost it It's like we are entering the very last scene We have a character show up to say Hey, I'm here And then we have the last scene And then that character's like Hey, I'm still here And they're like Okay, we'll go over there now It just felt very unfinished Or unresolved, I suppose But I mean, that's kind of old-fashioned comics, isn't it? Uh it's weird trying to reconcile, you know, um, serialized storytelling with the current state of things, right? Where back in the day, I don't think we would have thought twice about something like that. Uh, even if a series was coming to an end, leaving loose ends for a uh, for another writer, a future writer, a future creative team to kind of pick up on or flesh out or just have in their, you know, in their toolbox, that's something that would just happen all the time. Here, I think in current year, we're used to people... Kind of putting their stamp on something, finishing their story, and once they've done their time, it's just kind of like everything's, you know, in a box put away. And here is something kind of in the middle, right? The the story is over. You know, the story was wrapped up, like you said, decently well. But there are these lingering things that are just around. We don't know if they're, they'll ever be dealt with again. It just kind of feels undone. Now, as for Kid Cable coming back... I think it might be sooner than later. I don't know that he'll ever be back on a permanent basis, but I'm sure we're going to be seeing him again. I mean, we do know that Wolverine's going to be jumping through time in just a you know a few months from now, and I don't think it would surprise me one bit to have him have a run-in with Kid Cable somewhere down the time stream. It wouldn't surprise me at all, and in fact, it it might be more surprising if they if they don't <laughs> if they don't meet up somewhere in the time stream. But we know very little about the. X L W X D W. That's that's never gonna roll off the tongue, is it? The lives and deaths of Wolverine. I don't know how we're gonna. We need we need an, a funny acronym for that. We need a uh, a way to way to make that sound hoxpoxy. But uh, frankly, I'm not a creative guy, so I couldn't tell you what that might be. But where the hell am I? What am I talking about? Where who are we? Um, yeah, I think he'll see Cable. <laughs> we don't know what that book's gonna be about, but I, I think maybe Cable might show up in it. So I will. Uh, Quit babbling again I'm very babbly today I don't know what it is about me But uh, thank you so much, Evan For writing in about the final issue of Cable Well, the final-ish issue We do have the Last Annihilation crossover issue That I can't remember what they called it For the life of me Reloaded? Maybe it was Cable Reloaded Boy, I'm sorry I'm like really flailing right now I don't know what it is But uh, thanks again for writing in, Evan I really, really appreciate it Let's hop over to the shout-out department here, thanking the people on social media for helping to spread the word and raise the profile and signal boost this little program. First, over to Twitter, I want to thank Walt Neeland, Andrew in Belfast, Jesse D. Young, Dave Schultz, 21st Century Boys, Joe Crawford, Ed Moore, Jeremiah, Billy D., Mark Jagger, Wayne Burroughs, The Long Box Crusade, Jason Colby, Kiana Tang, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, and Jared Albrick, the wonderfully talented yard sale artist. Over to Facebook, I want to thank Walt Neeland, Pat Sampson, Herman, Joe Crawford, Andrew Franklin, Jeremiah, Billy D, and Evan Bevins. Let's keep the thank yous going. I want to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed. Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Neeland, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. Thank you all so, so much. Uh, your support and... Uh, Belief in little old me uh, means the absolute world. It's hard to put into words what it means to me, but uh, I honestly cannot thank you enough. 
Now, uh, on to uh, contact information. If you'd like to get a hold of me for any reason at all, maybe you tried Hellions and you loved it. Maybe you're going to try to shake me down for your $3.99 back. I don't know. But uh, if you'd like to get a hold of me, feel free to do so uh, in a number of different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. For the complete Chris and Reggie audio archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. That's available anywhere you find noise on the internet. And, of course, there is the Patreon, patreon.com slash xlapsed. Well, that's going to do it for me today. It's so nice to talk about a book that I love. <laughs> I feel like it might have it been a minute since we had one of these, so... uh I am very thankful for Hellions and even more thankful for the opportunity to share my experience with the Hellions with you. So thank you all so much for allowing me to do so and uh, for spending a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs>